God, sex, rock and roll. I've got a song for you this morning uh, from my favorite all-time uh, rock band, the Almond Brothers. Um, brain research uh, has shown that the music that you are listening to when you're 14 years old is the music that you get anchored into. Think about that. What were you listening to when you were 14? I was listening to the Almond Brothers. And that's part of my story. This morning, uh, I want to bring you a song uh, by Greg Allman, my only true friend. Um, got, uh, uh, Greg Allman was married seven times. I mean, after about five, I think you'd just give up, wouldn't you? Seven times. And Cher was one of those, you know. Uh, I think I'd have given up right after that, you know. But this is such a powerful song in terms of the longing of a man to be in an intimate relationship. And yet what he discovered, as the song says, let me read this uh, first verse. I hope you're haunted by the music of my soul when I'm gone. And by, by the way, this song was released posthumously after his death um, on an album. Um, so I hope you're haunted by the music of my soul when I'm gone. Please don't fly away and find you a new love. I can't face living this life alone. I can't bear to think this might be the end. But you and I both know the road is my only true friend. He didn't really know how to do intimate, committed relationship. It really was sex and rock and roll for him. That's why I'm sharing these songs with you um, because so many of these rock songs are the longing of a man's heart, of our heart, for permanent relationship. And yet, so many of us are broken and have uh, wreckage in our life because we didn't know and don't know how to really connect in a godly, intimate way. May you hear the voice of God through Greg Allman and his longing to be in an intimate relationship. <clears throat> Music of my soul 
Be on the alert. Stand firm in your faith. Act like men. Be strong. Words from 1 Corinthians 16, 13. God, sex, and rock and roll. The longing of a man's heart to be connected. G.K. Chesterton said that every man who walks into a brothel is looking for God. You're probably going to hear that most every week because that's so much of what this series is about. Um, And then there was a woman. There I was, minding my own business, kind of. And then there was a woman. Changes your life. How do you view a woman? Well, I know how you view a woman because you had those early conversations with your dad, and your dad helped you to understand how to view a woman, right? (laughs) I want you to... Think with me just for a minute of yourself being 10 years old. I want you to think of your 10-year-old son coming to you. I want you to think of your 10-year-old grandson coming to you. And he has three questions for you. So I want you to pick up your pen, and I want you to answer these three questions, and I want you to answer them as if you are answering them to a 10-year-old. When you were 10... When your son was 10, when your grandson was 10, when little Johnny from Sunday school was 10, and he asked you this question, what's God's view of sex? What's God's view of sex? What would you say to him? What would you say to that 10-year-old boy? What's God's view of sex? Of sex. Now, on the playing field, and again, this is our diagram that we're using within the boundaries of this supposed football field, this playing field is where God's view of sex is lived out. It's lived out on the playing field of covenantal marriage. And if we stay within these boundaries, life, with a woman works really well, or works better. How's that? (laughs) At least there's definition to it. God's view of sex. I would want to tell that 10-year-old, it's a gift. It's a gift. God's given us a gift. And I would begin to explain that gift. I would want that 10-year-old to know that it is very, very sacred, and I would do my best to explain sacred. You know, I would pick something like his toy gun or his toy G.I. Joe. That's special to you. You wouldn't want anything to happen to that, would you? It's sacred. It's set apart. It's holy. And then I would want to do my best to explain mystery to a 10-year-old. It's a mystery. I can't explain all of it. It's deeper in meaning than what I can put words to. Gift, sacred, mystery. 
Second question. Ten-year-old asks you, Daddy, Granddaddy, what's the purpose of sex? What would you say? What's the purpose of sex? What would you say to a 10-year-old? What's the purpose of sex? What I would hope I would say, first of all, God said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. He told them to have sex. I haven't read that passage in a while in the message, but I'm sure in the message it must say, go have sex, something like that. But he told them to be fruitful and multiply. And then the other purpose of sex is intimacy. Physical and emotional knowing one another. And Adam knew Eve. And it's pleasurable, but the pleasure is not the purpose. It's just the benefit. It's fun. It's exciting. And I would want that 10-year-old boy to know that it's something to look forward to, but it is intended to be lived out, executed in the context of the boundaries of covenant marriage. Third question. Why does sexual sin hurt so much? Why is sexual sin so damaging? Daddy, it seems like people who act out sexually really get hurt. Why is sexual sin so damaging? I would want to tell that 10-year-old, because it disconnects us from ourself and others, or it splits us. It splits us off. Now, we may not be aware of that. We may not be totally clear on the effect that it's having on us any more than if we started smoking cigarettes at 10 years old. Some of you did. I know your story. <laughs> Charles says, don't look at me. But, it, but, but if you started smoking, if you, <laughs> if you started smoking cigarettes at 10 years old, it might be fun and exciting, you know, out there in the treehouse, out there behind the barn, wherever you are, you're smoking cigarettes, but it's killing you. And you, and, and you would say to me when you're 20 years old and you smoking for, uh, smoke for 10 years, <laughs> that smoke is not hurting me. I've been smoking for 10 years. I'm fine. I had dinner last night with Ricky and Lorraine. Uh, and Lorraine had just came in, Ricky, and I can't remember exactly what she said. She had a patient that uh, smoked all of his life. He had one leg cut off, from what I remember she told us. He could barely breathe. Uh, he was an older gentleman, and he was still smoking. But cigarettes wasn't his problem. 
You know, he's just wanting to sure, make sure the doctor fixes him. Guys, sex out here outside the boundaries will disconnect you and hurt you. And it may not appear to be that. And you may even argue with me that it would it's not hurting me, just like a smoker would until he's, if he makes it to 60 years old and he's been smoking since he was 10 years old, he's dying. He's being disconnected and split. That's what I would want to tell the 10-year-old. I you to turn over to Genesis chapter 35 with me. Genesis 35 um, is a major point in Jacob's life. Jacob is one of my favorite characters because I identify so much with him. He was so broken. One of the beautiful things about how God reveals himself to us is he reveals so much to us through the broken stories of broken men that are in the hall of faith and that were major players in God's redemptive plan. And he doesn't apologize for their brokenness. And Jacob was one of the most broken. Jacob was a mama's boy. Um, Esau was a hunter, his older brother. Jacob hung out with his mama. And his mama convinced him to uh, trick uh, his daddy into giving the blessing to Jacob, the younger brother, when the blessing would have been uh, in that culture naturally bestowed on the older brother. So Jacob tricks Esau. Now Esau's going to kill Jacob. He's mad. Jacob tricked his daddy. He got the blessing. And Esau tells Jacob, I'm going to kill you. And so Jacob runs for his life. He's running for his life. He's a liar. He's a mama's boy. Somebody's always rescued Jacob. Somebody's taken care of Jacob. And in Genesis 28, Jacob is on the run, and he lays down in a certain place, the passage says. He, he came to a certain place. He laid his head on a rock, and God appeared to him in a dream. He's on the run from his brother. And God appears to him, and Jacob wakes up, and he says, Wow, God has appeared to me. God has shown up. And this is a special place because God showed up. And so life moves on. He's married. Um, and he comes into this passage, and he does something that's critical. Watch this. Genesis 20, uh, 35, God spoke to Jacob, go back to Bethel. And Bethel was the place in Genesis 28 where God appeared to him. Stay there and build an altar to the, to the God who revealed himself to you when you were running for your life from your brother Esau. And Jacob told his family and all those who lived with him, throw out all the alien gods which you have, take a good bath and put on clean clothes. We're going to Bethel. I'm going to build an altar there to the God who answered me when I was in trouble and has stuck with me everywhere I've gone since. They turned over to Jacob all the alien gods they had been holding on to, along with their lucky charm earrings. Jacob buried them under the oak tree in Shechem. Then they set out a paralyzing field, descended on all the surrounding villages so that they were unable to pursue the sons of Jacob. God protected them. 
Jacob and his company arrived at Luz, that is Bethel, in the land of Canaan. He built an altar there and named it El Bethel, God of Bethel, because that's where God revealed himself to him when he was running from his brother. And that's when Rebecca's nurse, Deborah, died. She was buried just below Bethel under the oak tree. It was named Allah Becca, weeping oak. God revealed himself out there to Jacob after he had come back from Padam Aram and blessed him. Your name is Jacob, heal. But that's your name no longer. From now on, your name is Israel, God wrestler. That's what Israel means. Verse 11, God continued, I am the strong God, have children flourish. A nation, a whole company of nations will come from you. Kings will come from your loins. The land I gave Abraham and Isaac, I now give to you and pass it on to your descendants. And then God was gone, ascended from the place where he had spoken with him. Jacob set up a stone pillar on the spot where God had spoken with him, and he pointed a drink offering on it. He poured a drink offering on it and anointed it with oil. And Jacob dedicated the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel, God's house. Because I want you to imagine with me for a minute, you know, Jacob, Israel, went on to have 12 sons. We know the story. Joseph was his youngest son. He got sold into slavery, all of that. Imagine Jacob at one point brings his 12 sons to this altar. What do his 12 sons see? What they see is a pile of rocks. That's what they see, right? All they see... uh, what do you see, Joseph? Little Joseph, what do you see? And Joseph said, I see a pile of rocks, Daddy. And his older brother said, Joseph, that's not a pile of rocks. That's an altar. Well, it looks like a pile of rocks to me. And Jacob goes on to explain, yeah, Joseph, you're right. It's a pile of rocks. But it symbolizes and in reality is much more than that. It is a sign of God's protection, appearance, and blessing upon me. Guys, when we look at sex, we look at a woman. If we're sexualized, we just see a pile of rocks. You get it? We just see a pile of rocks. We just see an objectified woman. There for my pleasure. It's just a pile of rocks. But if we really understand what God intended, what's behind that face is a story, is a life. She's someone's daughter. She's someone's sister. She is the reflection of the image and beauty of God. It's more than a pile of rocks. What do you see? What do you see? God's view of sex. Guys, the world has us play out of bounds. And out of bounds is we just sexualize our lives and others' lives. 
but out of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and each week I'm going to keep reading a portion of this passage to over the weeks that we go through this series, we will read a portion of this passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9 through 20 each week. And by the end of the time we um, go through this passage, I hope you'll have it memorized. We're going to go over it and over it and over it. And just a small portion of this, I want to look at verses 12 through 14. Just because something is technically legal doesn't mean that it's spiritually appropriate. In your study Bible, it's, it's the idea that nothing is wrong in and of itself. Um, sex, is it wrong? It's only wrong when it's done out of context. When it's outside the boundaries of marriage, it's not good for you. Just because something is technically legal doesn't mean that it's spiritually appropriate. If I went around doing whatever I thought could be, could get by with, I'd be a slave to my whims. Smoking. I can smoke anytime I want to. <laughs> you know, nobody can tell me not to smoke. I'll smoke if I want to. Wow. There's probably men in this room, as in my family, to where I had family members uh, who were on oxygen smoking a cigarette. It's like, you're going to blow yourself up, and I'm going to be in there with you. I don't mind if you blow yourself up. It's me that I'm concerned about, as always. (laughs) Okay? You want to blow yourself up? Blow yourself up. I'm going to get out of here. It's like, guys, I can smoke if I want to. It's like, go have sex anywhere you want to. I can, you know. You know, like you get into that season of life in the fraternity house or whatever season, and the objective of the game is what? Smoke as many cigarettes as you can. You know the old saying, first you eat to live and then you live to eat. Well, it may be true that the body is only a temporary thing, but that's no excuse for stuffing your body with food or indulging it with sex. Since the master honors you with the body, honor him with your body. Guys, your body matters. It is sacred. It is holy. And when we devalue our body, We're devaluing a huge part of who we are as image bearers of God, whether we're objectifying our own body or objectifying a woman's body. We miss it. The body is important. What you eat, what you smoke, and what you have sex with is important. God honored the master's body By raising it from the grave, he'll treat yours with the same resurrection power. Your physical body matters. Until that time, remember that your bodies are created with the same dignity as the master's body. You wouldn't take the master's body off to a whorehouse, would you? I should hope not. And again, the Greek word there 
is porneia. It's where we get the word pornography. It's like we, we are harlots. We're whores because we give ourselves over, not just to sexual objects, but all kinds of physical objects, whether it be doing damage to our body through smoking or eating cheese pizzas literally at 2 o'clock in the morning. Your body matters. What does God say about sex? God's perspective is that God created sex and has a purpose for it defined with the, in the, within the context of marriage. It's meant to be played out on this playing field with boundaries. Whistles get blown when you're out here. As long as you're playing in here, it is fun to watch. That's why we all love football. When you lose sight of God's perspective, sex can degrade into a pastime for pleasure that will ultimately hurt you physically, emotionally, and spiritually. The world holds the Christian view in contempt, considering it prudish, naive, and repressive. But the Bible elevates sexuality as God's gift to us that is both sacred and mysterious. Waylon Ward helps us to understand this through the pickle principle. Now, my mamaw, uh, my mother, uh, always made pickles. And pickles are made by taking a cucumber and soaking it in water, spices, and vinegar. And you make a pickle. Guys, our culture has pickled our brains. We, we have been pickled. We have taken something beautiful, a cucumber, and we are so pickled through three things, that the water, the vinegar, and the spices would be being told that we're deprived. If you don't have sex with everybody that you can, you're being deprived. No one has the right to deprive anyone else of this greatest of all human pleasures. You can't tell me that I can't smoke. I can smoke if I want to, right? So we're told that we're deprived or we just devalue other humans and they just become objects. If the purpose and goal of sex is primarily pleasure, then other people are just objects to be used for sensual gratification. The Christian perspective is that the purpose of sex is relational with pleasure as the byproduct. It's meant to connect us in a deep way. And when you have sex, you are connected in a deep emotional way, whether you realize it or not. It, it affects your soul. It either deadens it or makes it alive, but it will affect you. Got it? And thirdly, oh, there's no harm in that. I'm not hurting anybody. Sex won't harm you. Guys, it will destroy you. Played out of bounds. I want to show you a picture of sex. All right? Put your pen down. 
Everybody move up on the edge of your seat. I got video today. Okay? I got video. Okay? Now, keep in mind, in the playing field is electricity. Outside the playing field is lightning. Watch this. Picture of sex out of bounds. Manifest itself in many dramatic and beautiful ways. From spectacular anvil crawlers to extremely powerful bolts that leap miles away from the storm. I've been chasing lightning for 20 years and here are my top 10 best lightning strike captures. Number 10 is caught this year on a Kansas interstate. Looking back in slow-mo, you can see the distant discharge triggering the closer strike. I'd wager this trucker probably got brown all over his pants after spilling his coffee. <laughs> Number nine is bagged under a Tornadic Supercell near Lincoln, Nebraska. Lighting was crashing all over the place, but what makes this bolt so striking was its bizarre looping path. Number eight occurred on May 31st, 2013 near El Reno, Oklahoma. This historic and horrifying day saw the birth of the world's largest tornado at 2.6 miles wide. Jesus. And the fact that there's a bolt of fire shooting out of its massive infant side makes this strike worthy of this list. You don't have to be close to the strike to get a great shot. In fact, many of my favorites have been captured from miles away. In these snags, it's another beautiful element, like a rainbow or the wild colors of a desert sunset that make them extra spectacular. Number seven was summoned over Devil's Tower. Took me 300 tries before this storm finally served up the wicked goods. Anvil Crawler Lightning, also called Spider Lightning, due to the way it scampers across the sky, is one of nature's most dramatic displays. I've photographed hundreds of anvil crawler webs, but only once lurking over an old paralyzed 1956 Mercury. That's why this snag is number six on the list. Number five, four, and three all come from one intense evening. In June of 2010, a violent storm in North Texas was bombarding the earth with constant bolts of positive lightning. When the strikes are slowed down, you can really see individual flashes that make lightning flicker. It's this super long megabolt and it's 14 separate flashes that scores number five on my favorites. Positive lightning is the most deadly of the bolts. They leap from the tops of thunderstorms out to the ground up to 10 miles away. Wow. To complete this stealthy journey, they can generate a billion volts. Plus, when these daddies fire, they can heat the air to over 50,000 degrees Fahrenheit. That's over five times hotter than the surface of the sun. Because of their tendency to leap away from rain and low storm clouds, they're extra photogenic. And on this day, there was so much positive lightning crashing all over the place that my chances of getting that super close high-res photo I've always dreamed of was within grasp. As were my chances of becoming another charred toad on the side of the road. Either way, something inevitable was about to occur. Two positive flash discharges, forking to the ground in four locations. And then a one in a million shot of a bolt crashing into earth with a rare, clear capture of something called an upward streamer sparking up from the ground. Lightning is not concerned about striking in your frame or being photographed at all. But every now and then she feels down to earth, turns to the camera and strikes a killer pose. Here's number two again. 
All right, let's get to number one. June 16th, 2014 in Northeast Nebraska. Two tornadoes are on the ground. The skinny one on the left is blazing a trail towards its chubby sister on the right. And as if this wasn't already epic enough. Oh. Did I just see that? And one more time. Blows my mind every time I see that. Well, guys, thanks for watching. Gentlemen, that is a picture of sex outside the bounds that God has given us. It is the difference between lightning and electricity. We are enjoying the wonderful miracle of electricity. I have no idea how it works. It is a mystery. I'm not an electrical engineer. You flip a switch on back there, I'm excited. I don't know why it works, how it works. But I do know you take the cover off that and stick your finger in there like I did when I was a kid. I only did that once. And I'm glad that I'm here to, to talk about it. One time. Because the power of lightning is mysterious and awesome. And the power of that lightning harnessed will light a city, city on a hill. Gentlemen, the purpose of sex is fruitfulness, emotional and physical intimacy, and it is a sacred and private gift. Don't abuse it. Have respect for it. And then finally, why sexual sin hurts so much? This last slide is wounding and hurtful. Shame and pain comes from it. And we're often told in the pickling from our culture, if it feels good, do it. Guys, I sit with people every day, men and women and couples, who are, have been struck by lightning and are seeking to overcome that. What would you say to a 10-year-old? The beauty of the gospel is that God has the power to bring healing, forgiveness, and new direction to those of us who have abused sex and have been abused by sex. Our lives can be uh, clean, fresh new start. May you continue to understand sex in all the beauty that God intended it and play within the bounds and on the playing field that God's given us. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you so much uh, for the beauty uh, of your creation. Thank you for sex. Thank you for uh, the direction that you've given us. May we respect it in a way that brings life to us and not death. Thank you for our time this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.